This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a postseason edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk postseason. Uh, particularly interesting to us, the fact that all 10 of the top 10 farm systems from two years ago, those teams are all in this year's playoffs. We'll talk about that a little bit. We will make our own postseason picks. Uh, we will talk about some rookies who have a chance to make an impact in this year's postseason. We are going to look back at some of the greatest postseason performances by rookies in MLB history. Uh, we're also going to talk about a couple of late additions to postseason rosters that uh, just came out as rosters were released. And we're going to look at our ranking of this season's top 25 rookies. Uh, also going to talk about a significant change to rookie eligibility rules. What that means for next year's rookie class, what that meant for a bunch of prospects this year. And we'll talk a little bit about the 2021 draft. Guys, the postseason is upon us. Uh, as I mentioned, looking back at our farm system rankings from two years ago, all 10 teams from that ranking, and now this is when we just ranked the top ten. But all ten of those teams now in the playoffs, and you know, I guess that's that's not really a big surprise, but a pretty cool thing to note. I think it just shows how smart we are. No, exactly. And uh, as I said, a cool thing to note. Yeah, no, no, it's very cool. I think maybe the only surprise is that it's just two years. And it's not like you think that everyone who has a top ten farm system is going to make the playoffs x amount of years later. Sometimes a team can be further away in the rebuilding process uh, to, to get there. But, um, you know, it shows, you know, this year was certainly a strange year. And I think a lot of those teams had to rely on those young players to, to get to, to where they are more so than they may have in a, in a normal 162 game season. So I think the only thing that's like slightly surprising about it is the fact that, uh, I mean, other than the 10 for 10 is that it, it, it all happened within a, this two year time span and not, you know, over, you know, if you had told me, you know, five years later that all 10 of those teams made the playoffs at some point, that sounds more a more realistic prognostication than all of them are going to make it two years later. Yeah, and the thing you know, I thought was interesting too, Jason noted before we, we, we came on the air here, is that if you go back and look at, at who the team's top 100 prospects were two years ago, it's not like a lot of these guys are tearing it up. You know, the Padres were our number one organization, and they had eight top 100 prospects. And the only two guys who are really a major part of, of their success this year are Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock. And the other six guys, you know, you know, either got traded or, 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 you know, Adrian Moorhone's up, you know, in the bullpen, but didn't play major roles. You know, the, the Braves were number two, and really the only guy who was a, a huge part of their regular season was Ian Anderson. You know, Mike Soroka would have been if he hadn't been hurt, but obviously did get hurt. You know, they have guys, you know, Christian Pache only made a cameo. You know, Kyle Wright kind of came on at the end of the season after struggling for a while. Uh, you know, Austin Riley, you know, mediocre season. Um, you know, the, the one team that, that looking at these that really did get a lot of impact from their top 100 prospects of two years ago were the White Sox, who were number three, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning. Uh, you know, they're the team that probably used their farm system 
or at least their top 100 prospects the most to get back to contention. And I won't go through all 10 teams, but if you're just looking at number four, the Rays had the best record in the American League. They continue to have a, a really, you know, one of the best farm systems, if not the best farm system in, my, in baseball. And none of their top 100 prospects did anything for them this year. They got Brent Honeywell, Brendan McKay, Jesus Sanchez, Wander Franco, and Matt Libertor. Libertor and Sanchez got traded. Honeywell and McKay are hurt. And, and Franco, because he's so young, he's yet to play above high A. Um, it, you know, it is kind of interesting to look at. And again, I think that all kind of reinforces that development isn't linear, that you, that you do have ups and downs. So yeah, Jonathan, you, you said that you were surprised by how quickly all 10 of these teams have made the turnaround and, and um, you know, made it to the playoffs. We have seen, though, looking back in the past that, you know, I think we've seen that teams do turn it around quickly when they have that strong farm system as a core. We did a story a few years back where we looked at some examples of this um, where teams had a high-ranked farm system or a lot of top 100 prospects and how that turned their fortunes around and predicted big league success. The Brewers uh, were a prime example. The Brewers in 2005 um, had Ricky Weeks, Prince Fielder, uh, at the top of their farm system, at the top of their uh, top prospects list. In the previous five years, they had averaged 66 wins a year. And then in the five subsequent years, they averaged 82 wins per year. So a difference of 15 wins per year uh, following that spike and and, uh, the strength of their farm system. Uh, Similarly, the... Tampa Bay Rays in 2008, or was that the Devil Rays then? Uh, had Evan Longoria, David Price, Wade Davis, Jake McGee, Reed Brignac went from averaging 65 wins a season in the previous five years to then winning uh, an average of 92 games per year over the next five years. The Giants behind Posey and Bumgarner, 2010, uh, in the previous five seasons, had averaged 76 wins in the next five Averaged 87 wins, of course, had some World Series titles thrown in there. And then the Kansas City Royals in 2011, uh, top-ranked farm system, absolutely stacked with Moustakas, Hosmer, Will Myers, John Lamb, Jake Odorizzi. They went from averaging 67 wins per year over the previous five-year seasons to 83 wins per year over the subsequent five seasons, which included two trips to the World Series and a World Championship. So we have seen... Um, that these teams do turn around pretty quickly, and it's kind of hard to hard to overstate the importance of of a strong farm system. Well, the crazy thing is, is as hard as it is to to rank farm systems because you're ranking groups of 200 players at various stages of development, is how often that that you know, especially being ranked number one, correlates to turning it around. You know, when I was at Baseball America. Uh, you know, for many years, you know, we ranked farm systems every year. You know, Alan Simpson started doing that back in 1984, five years before I got there. And at one point, we went back and looked, and every team that we'd ranked n- number one as having the best farm system wound up, you know, making the playoffs within, you know, two, three years with one exception. That was the 1997 Pirates. But it was, you know, th- those teams with those dominant farm systems, you know, th- it does correlate. And if you just go look at our rankings, we've only ranked the farm systems going back to 2015 when we started with 10, you know, we're doing 30 today. The first team we ranked number one was the Cubs. They won the World Series the next year. The second team we ranked number one was the Red Sox in mid-2015. They wound up winning the World Series three years later. You know, the Dodgers were our next number one team. The Dodgers have, I think, what is it, won eight division titles in a row, and they keep churning out rookies. You know, they continue to do so. The Brewers were the next one after that. They've just made three playoff you know, the playoffs three years in a row for the first time in their existence. You know, the, the Braves have had a strong resurgence. The White Sox, the Padres, the Rays, you know, are, are back and formidable again. You know, I'm not saying the rankings are perfect, but if you get ranked number one, usually good things are ahead. That's a very good sign. All right, let's move on and talk about this year's postseason. Uh, new format, obviously, 16 teams, uh, eight teams from each league, seeded one through eight. And Let's dig into your picks, guys. Um, Jonathan, you want to go first? Sure. Are we going? How are we doing this? Are we going round by round? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill out my postseason bracket as we're doing this. Am I eligible to win the hundred thousand dollars? I don't, I don't think, think so. you are. 
Okay. Well, we each put up 25,000, and whoever does the best will get 100,000. Mm, no. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we, we, we could go series by series, because I think we're probably going to agree on a lot of things, aren't we? Like, sure. Uh, Rays over Blue Jays? I'll go Rays. Okay. Jason, are you weighing in on this? Yeah, Jason I'm should weigh, weigh in. I'm not weighing in on this. No, you need to weigh in. I'm not. Probably, I refuse to move. I refuse to go on if you don't. If you don't weigh in, raise. Um, I'm going to pick the Indians over the Yankees. I will go Indians as well. I'll Jason. take the Yankees. All right, our first differing differing of opinion. I'm going to pick the Twins over the Astros. I feel like I'm taking the lower seed throughout, but so be it. The higher seed. Higher, whatever. <laughs> I will go Twins also. I'll take the Astros. Okay, I'm going to pick the White Sox over the A's. I will take the White Sox in a, if that's an upset because they're the lower seed. I also will take the White Sox. I think we, Jonathan and I are, are aligned on all four American League wild card round picks. Yes. I'll take the White Sox too. Okay. Now, what are we doing? Are we going stick with the American League and finish that out? So sure. Could, okay. I'll pick the Rays over the Indians. I'm, I'm going Indians over Rays. I will, I will diverge from you there. About time. I'll take the Rays over the Yankees. Okay. And I'm going to take the White Sox over the Twins. I'm going to take the Twins over the White Sox. I'll take the White Sox. Okay. And then I will, uh, I think I'll stick with the Rays and have the Rays go to the World Series. I have the Indians beating the Twins and going to the World Series. I'll take the Rays. Okay. Let's move on to the National League. I will pick the Dodgers over the Brewers. I will, I will do that as well. I will too. Padres over the Cardinals. We know what Jason's going to do here. I'll go Padres as well. Yeah, I got to take the Padres there. Really? <laughs> Sorry to be a homer during the think playoffs. Think it's going to win, right? Um, uh, I will take the Cubs over the Marlins. Uh, I will go Cubs over Marlins. Cubs. And Braves over Reds. I'm going Reds over Braves. I think their pitching is going to wreak havoc in the, in the National League playoffs. I'll take the Braves. Okay. I'm going to say the Padres upset the Dodgers. I will go Dodgers. I, I, I will pick the Dodgers to why not? hold on to the number one seed. Yeah. I'll also take the Dodgers. Yeah, I think that's a smarter pick. I will take the Braves over the Cubs. I will take the Reds over the Cubs. I will take the Braves over the Cubs. And then, uh, you know what? Why not? I'm going to just stick with the, I'm going to stick with the Padres. The Padres are making it to the World Series this year. I've got Dodgers over Reds. Yeah. I'll take the Dodgers as well. I, I think that makes a whole lot more sense. Um, and then in this scenario, I'm going to pick the Rays to win. I've got the Dodgers winning. I'll take the Dodgers over the Rays, which is not exactly a uh, earth-shattering prediction. So there so everybody Venmo me $25,000, and then I'll, I'll pay it out to the winner uh, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I could go twenty five dollars, maybe twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand. There's a uh, there's a story up on the site right now uh, where a dozen of uh, our reporters have made their predictions, and uh, without looking at it in detail, pretty similar. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, nine of them picked the Dodgers to win it all. Two of them picked the Rays to win it all. And one will leech pick the Indians to win it all. All right. When we come back, we will talk about some rookies who could make an impact in this postseason. But before that, a word from our sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. 
Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. All right, guys, there are a ton of rookies playing in this year's postseason with the expanded playoff field and with a ton of rookies up. That's going to give us the opportunity to see a lot of young players on the big stage. We have a story up on the site that Mike Rosenbaum did ranking the top 20 rookies in terms of uh, the impact that they could make in this postseason. That list starts with Lewis Robert, the White Sox outfielder, uh, followed by Dustin May of the Dodgers, Jesus Lazardo of the A's, Sixto Sanchez of the Marlins, Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, number six, Jake Cronenworth of the Padres, number seven, Sean Murphy, Murphy of the Athletics, number eight, Nick Madrigal, Number nine, Brewers reliever Devin Williams. Um, and number 10, Jose Urquidy of the Astros. Guys, this is obviously a subjective list, but I want to get your opinion on who you think has the chance to make the biggest impact in this postseason. I think that, listen, I think Luis Robert, because of how exciting the tools are, has the chance to really impact the postseason. Um but he really, really struggled down the stretch. Uh, so not a hundred percent sure that, uh, you know, that he's going to be able to flip a switch. Now I could see him being the kind of guy that with the sort of added spotlight of the postseason, kind of refines his groove. You know, he looked like he was going to run away with the rookie of the, uh, of the year voting as Jim was uh, pointing out off air, you know, and before, before struggling, but I, I think Jim and I agree and James, jump in here because uh, we we were talking about this, but I, I think that the the rookie pitchers on here, especially the Dodgers pitchers, Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, have a have more of a chance to have more of an impact because both are going to be counted on to be in that rotation um, and pitch a lot, you know, for a team that's expected to go deep into the postseason. Yeah, yeah, I, I think starting pitchers are going to be more important than ever in this postseason because we're, we're not having all the off days. I think I I read somewhere that last year the Nationals, I'm probably getting the note, but it was played like 17 games in 30 days in the postseason, something like that, as they won the World Series. And this year, outside the World Series, there are no off days. So, you know, you're going to probably use a lot of cases, your fifth starter at some point, um, you know, you're going to go at least four deep. You know, it'll be interesting to see with the way it's set up. If you use your number one starter in the wild card game, then in the first game of the wild card series, that is, then he's only going to have three days rest for before game one of the division series. Um, and, you know, if you go full five games in the division series, do you bring the guy back on short rest again? And, and then what do you do in, in the championship series? So I, I think – to me, starting pitching is going to be the story in this postseason. Not just May and Gonsolin, who I think are going to be huge factors. You know, I you heard me earlier. I picked the Dodgers to win it all. Not that that's going out on a limb, but if the A's are going to make a postseason run, they're going to need a big postseason from Jesus Lazardo. Same thing. If the Marlins are going to upset the Cubs in the first round, they need Sixto Sanchez to be on top of his game. And I, I just think. You know, you know, even a guy we, we've talked about, like, seems like we can't go a podcast without mentioning him. You know, Devin Williams, you know, if the Brewers are going to go deep, Devin Williams is going to have to keep being unhittable. Um, you know, you know, he's a reliever, obviously. Um, you know, Jose Urquidy's, you know, very important for the Astros like he was in last year's World Series. I, I think when we look back, when this is over, whoever wins the World Series, they're going to have to get starting pitching, quality starting pitching from a number of guys. So to me, I would probably put, you know, the, the onus on, on the starting pitchers is the rookies making the biggest contribution. I was just counting up here that six of those top 10 uh, are in fact pitchers. And then if you look at the remaining uh, players on the list, 11 through 28 out of those 10 are also pitchers starting at number 
11 with James Karinchak, so a uh, another reliever in there. Uh, Garrett Crochet, uh, another relief pitcher. Uh, they're, they're the two relievers on the list. Um, Kwon Hyun Kim of the Cardinals, uh, Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson of the Braves, Tristan McKenzie of the Indians, Dane Dunning of the White Sox, Christian Javier of the Astros, and then the two hitters in the 11 through 20 section of that list of that ranking Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals who struggled pretty mightily early, but has come on as of late been one of the uh, better rookie hitters, certainly. And uh, one of the more productive hitters in in baseball really over the past couple of weeks and is hitting in the middle of that Cardinals lineup. And then Gavin Lux of the Dodgers who, uh, you know, coming into the season was expected to be the front runner for national league rookie of the year. Uh, that did not happen, um, but could certainly play a role in the postseason. A couple other guys who were just added to rosters uh, have not played, not only did not play in the big leagues this year, have not played in the big leagues at all. Uh, this has only happened twice in the history of baseball that a player has made his major league debut in the postseason. Happened first in the ALCS in what 2006 is that right um, with Mark Krieger which um, there's a, a trivia question that I don't think a lot of people would probably get um, that was the first time it happened and then in 2015 in the World Series Alberto Mondesi uh, made his big league debut now we have the chance for two players to make, make their major league debuts in the postseason this year. Uh, the Twins have added Alex Kirloff to their wild card roster, and the Rays uh, have added Shane McClanahan to theirs. Jonathan, hey, tell hey, us wait, a little wait, bit. Hey, Jason, one second. I'm going to break in. There's breaking news. A third player has been added since we've started our podcast. Not a top 100 prospect. But the Astros have added Chaz McCormick. So in the American League, we could have three this year, and we could have some National League surprises tomorrow when those rosters are announced. But now Chaz McCormick, an outfielder ranked in the bottom half of our Astros list, has been added to Houston's roster as well. So we could have more players making their Major League debut in in this postseason than we've seen in the history of Major League Baseball. Jonathan, uh, I know Alex Kirloff, a favorite of yours, Tell us a little bit about what we can expect from him. First, a little trivia. How many, so Mark Kiger, you mentioned, he pinch ran twice in the 2006 American League Championship Series. How many more big league at-bats did Mark Kiger have after that major league debut? I'm going to say zero. Isn't it zero? That is correct. He never played in the big leagues again. And he never right? got an at-bat officially either. Right, <laughs> right. Just, uh, that's very, very, like, Moonlight Graham of him. Um. That's a Field of Dream reference, Field of Dreams reference for you there, Jason. I know you don't watch movies. Um, so Alex Kirilov, yeah, he's a you know, Pittsburgh guy. I mean, I remember going to see him in his draft year uh, playing for Plum High School not far from where I live. Uh, and just to see him hit then, uh, and, and you knew that he, he was going to hit. And he ended up going in the in the middle of the first round in 2016. And the, really the only thing that's held him back at all has been injuries. He missed all of 2017 because of Tommy John surgery. Uh, had a huge 2018 season where he hit 348 and had 20 homers and drove in over 100. Uh, and then 2019, he had some wrist issues, but he still finished strong. And then this year, probably was a guy who got, outside of maybe Jared Kelnick, got brought up the most in terms of how he'd performed first in summer camp and then in alternate camp. And the biggest thing is health. When he's healthy, the guy hits, uh, you know, he's hit uh, three seventeen over the course of his minor league career. Uh, and that's with the, you know, quote unquote down year in double a, a year ago. Um, you know, he doesn't strike out a lot. He walks a decent amount. Uh, he can, he's going to hit for average and for power. Uh, and that's the, the, those are his main calling cards. He's, you know, he'd be fine in an outfield corner, uh, he started playing first base last year. 
And uh, the Twins think that, you know, eventually could be an above average defender there. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up at first base long term. For the right now, like, I don't know how much he's going to play. Maybe he'll pinch hit off the bench, uh, but it gives them some some left-handed hitting depth. And, uh, you know, he's got the kind of approach and bat that uh, I think he'd, he'd be ready for, you know, any opportunity to contribute that he's, he's given, even if, uh, even if it's sporadic at, at best. And, you know, I don't know if it'll be beyond the first round or two. Uh, some of it is insurance uh, f- for Byron Buxton. You know, some of it is because of the injury to Josh Donaldson. Uh, so we'll kind of have to see how things play out, uh, how much playing time he's going to get. But I don't think there's any question that his bat is ready to play at this level. And I, th- I think with McClanahan, I think we're, you know, he's probably more likely to, to to get some playing time, you know, especially if the Rays advance as far as we think they could. You know, the, the Rays had the best record in the American League, but they don't have a lot of left-handed depth in their bullpen. Um, and, you know, McClanahan, even though, you know, he hasn't, you know, pitched in the big leagues this year. So I don't know, you'd throw him to high leverage situation right away. Um, you know, and he hasn't pitched above double A, only 18 innings at that level last year. He's got swing and miss stuff. I mean, this guy can be 95, 98 miles an hour, uh, pretty easily touch triple digits. He's got a wipeout slider at times. Um, you know, so this is a guy you could, you could bring in and I think it'd be a, a tough look, you know, aren't too many lefties with that kind of stuff, especially if you, you don't have any video on this guy. I mean, I, I guess you might have some minor league video on him from last year. I, I guess, the, you know, the you know, with the playoffs now, you know, you're, you're scrambling to, to find video, of, you know, now that you know he's on the roster, if you're going to wind up facing the Rays. But, you know, I think he could be used to, you know, for, you know, to, to get a lefty out, you know, maybe not in a super high leverage situation. They probably use loop for that. And I also think bullpen depth will be interesting. We were talking about starting pitchers before. You know, if you have a starting pitcher, get rocked early in a game because, you know, especially when you get to the five and seven game series where there's no off days, you're probably going to use your lesser pitchers in your bullpen to eat some innings, you know, because you don't want to waste somebody you might, might use. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Shane McClanahan, he might be a little bit more likely to appear in a game than, uh, than Kirilov would be. And then, you know, McCormick, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, for the Astros, again, I think he's probably more of that depth guy. He's kind of your typical gritty overachiever, 21st round pick, not a top 100 guy, number number 24 on our Astros list as of right now. Um, you know, and he, he hits, he's got some decent power, solid runner, you know, solid defender, average arm, you know, kind of a, a fourth, fifth outfield type. Um, but, uh, I will admit I, I, I had heard the Kirilov looked great all summer. So that one doesn't surprise me. Um, Shane McClanahan. Okay. You know, the, the Rays don't have a lot of lefties in their pen. He's got great stuff. That doesn't surprise me. I did not have Chaz McCormick on my projected Astros world series roster guys. I, I did not see that one coming. So with Kirilov, that's, that move is necessitated by an injury, but, McClanahan, I'm curious, why bring him up now? No experience whatsoever throwing him into the postseason. Why why didn't they bring him up earlier and, and get his feet wet maybe with the, the Garrett Crochet uh, path that the White Sox took? Why would the Rays have not done something like that? That makes no sense to me, to be honest. I mean, they they won the American League by four games. They clinched a playoff berth very early. What the White Sox did, we talked about with Garrett Crochet, and we'd been kind of, you know, pounding the table lightly. I don't know if that's pounding the table if we were doing it lightly. But, you know, we've been talking all year about draftees who could help teams and how it made sense for the White Sox to see what Crochet could do, and he looked great. And now I feel like you've got a ton of trust in Crochet. With McClanahan, uh, you know, again, he's got great stuff, but I don't know if I trust him, you know, in the eighth inning of a tie game when he's never pitched in the big leagues before. We like pointing, you know, example, we said this, you know, we weren't podcasting, but when the Cubs called up Braylon Marquez, again, the Cubs, you could tell early on they were going to make the playoffs. Why not call up Braylon Marquez early, you know, say with 10 days to go and give him three or four outings? Because even if Braylon Marquez pitched great on the final day of the regular season when nothing was at stake, it's one inning and he didn't pitch great. He pitched 
two thirds of an inning and he gave up, I think it was five runs, right? Um, so, and he still might make, there's still talk that he can make the Cubs postseason roster. But even if he does, I don't know how you trust a guy who, who walked three guys and gave up two hits and, get, and got two outs. So, yeah, it is, it is curious. You know, I, I don't know. I'll admit, you know, Josh Fleming is not on their postseason roster. He was their fifth starter. I'm not sure what's going on with him. He pitched well. So maybe there, there's something going on with Josh Fleming that we haven't sussed out while we've been podcasting. But it is a surprise that you would add a guy – I just don't think you can use him in a high leverage role. You know, maybe he's just emergency depth and he's the 13th man on the staff. Maybe there's like a secret weapon element to it. They didn't, they didn't want to show him to anybody in the American league. And at least they had like a full, a year of, of seeing him pitch, uh, unlike crochet who hadn't thrown, you know, pitched at all that I'm mildly playing devil's advocate. I don't really believe that, you know, nor, nor do I think, uh, you know, that's the real reason, but I'm just trying to figure out why the Rays wouldn't have brought him up. So maybe you're right. Maybe there is, you know, a, a minor injury or something like that, uh, that's at play that, uh, necessitated the need to, to add, uh, an arm who has, you know, thrown 18 and a third innings above a ball, um, you know, in, in his one plus years of pro ball. So yeah, it's interesting. We'll see what happens if he gets used at all. So the addition of McClanahan to the Rays roster, somewhat reminiscent of uh, another left-hander being added to a Rays bullpen in the postseason back in 2008, David Price, uh, a year removed from being the number one overall draft pick, uh, made a big splash on the big stage. Guys, let's look back at some other big rookie postseason performances. Uh, There's a story up on the site now where we've identified the Best postseason performance by a rookie in each team's postseason history. A pretty interesting mix of players. Uh, Got guys going all the way back. Uh, Hugh Bedient for the Red Sox, 1912. Charlie Keller, 1939 with the Yankees. Gene Bearden, 1948 with the Indians. Uh, But also a lot of more uh, recent examples and, and some uh, performances that I'm sure a majority of our uh, listeners would remember. Uh, Jordano Ventura, the late Jordano Ventura with the Royals in 2014. Justin Verlander with the Tigers in 2006. Both of those rookie pitchers helping their teams uh, to the World Series. Both both teams losing in the World Series, but making deep runs in the postseason. Um, K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez in 2002 with the Angels. Uh, a, a memorable postseason uh, Chipper Jones, I think, probably narrowly edged out uh, Andrew Jones there, both rookies, uh, both Braves rookies who had huge postseasons. Uh, Liban Hernandez with the Marlins, Noah Syndergaard with the Mets in 2015. Guys, anyone in uh, particular as you went through your 10 teams and doing this that uh, really stood out to you? Well, most of mine, I, I had a lot of guys. I think I had a lot of organizations. I guess I didn't really think about this way. have been around forever. So I had a lot of old guys. So rather than breaking down Hugh Bedient and Charlie Keller, or talking about Pepper Martin, I'll, I'll give you two from the last decade. You know, Madison Bumgarner, you know, everybody thinks of 2014, you know, when he was, you know, just a force in the playoffs and, and carried the Giants to championship. But in 2010, he made a big contribution to the Giants, the, the first of their three championships in, in, in five years. And the interesting thing, and I don't know how many people remember this, was there were a lot of concerns about Madison Bumgarner at the end of 2009 and beginning of 2010. His velocity dropped to the mid-high 80s at the end of 2009. In the spring training, he was in the mid-80s. And there were concerns that he was hurt, you know, and if he wasn't hurt, how's this going to play in the big leagues? And he, you know, got some velocity back, was fine in the big leagues. And his final outing of the year, eight shutout innings to beat the Rangers in game four to put him one gateway for the title. He also won the clincher in the National League Division Series, um, had a, you know, couple, you know, key outings in the championship series. So he was one. And and then one I'd actually forgotten because I, I guess, you know, being here in Chicago, I didn't grow up here, but everybody thinks about Cubs in 2016 ending the 108-year World Series drought. I know they made their run to the National League Championship Series in 2015 where they got swept by the Mets. I had forgotten how good Jorge Soler was in those playoffs. Jorge Soler hit 474, 600 on base, 1105 slugging. And Kyle Schwarber was right behind him at 333, 419, 889. Soler had a 
2341 ops in the division series. He key home runs in a pair of victories. And even when they got swept by the Mets, he had a 1250 ops in the championship series. I, I had totally forgotten about those performances, maybe because they didn't win the championship that year. I think for me, the guy that stood out the most, and I had a, you know, a couple of K-Rod is, is, is one guy that, you know, people remember just because he was so overpowering and he'd only thrown, like he threw five and two thirds innings in the regular season. So it's not like he had had a full year. Uh, you know, Chipper Jones had had a full year as a, as a rookie with the Braves. <clears throat> but the guy that I think really stands out was Chuck Knobloch in, in uh, 91 with the Twins. And, uh, you know, in the write-up, I talk about what he did with the bat. And, you know, he hit 350 in the ALCS. Then he hit 308 in the World Series. That, of course, was the World Series that went seven games. Jack Morris went 10 innings. And the... Uh, and the Twins won Game Seven, one to nothing, and he actually sacrificed Dan Gladden over to third in the bottom of the tenth of that, and Gladden scored the winning run. What I didn't put in there, and it's something that you know doesn't show up in a uh, box score, but I had forgotten completely about until I you know was digging into this, is that he you know, was playing second base, and Greg Gagne was the shortstop, and the two of them teamed up for an absolutely masterful decoy that froze. Lonnie Smith and kept him from scoring on an extra base hit and Smith didn't come around to score. So that decoy, you know, at least partially allowed the twins to win the world series. And that, you know, that's something that doesn't, that doesn't show up um, very often. And you don't think of a rookie to make that kind of heady play, but clearly it was something he and Greg Gagne had had worked on. And in this case uh, pulled it off to perfection and, you know, made a, a huge impact that doesn't show up in the numbers. Lonnie Smith skates, uh, actually another name on this yep. list, the Phillies entry from 1980. Jim, you were talking about Solaire, which uh, when we talked about this before, that sparked my memory from a, a tweet that the MLB pipeline account sent out back when Solaire was on that red hot run. He started his postseason. His, his plate appearances to start the postseason went like this walk, double, home run, walk, 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 single, home run. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Um, I, I, I did not have access to division series records. I, I, I'm going to guess the 2341 ops might be near the top or at the top of the division series all time single season record list. Are you listening to the pipeline podcast? I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo guys. We, uh, at the conclusion of the season, we ranked this season's top 25 rookies, which was, uh, a pretty fun exercise. Um, I think that these rankings changed quite a bit over the past, I would say over the, the final, what, two weeks of the season. I think if, if we'd put this list together, two weeks earlier. And I guess we, we did. <laughs> In fact, as we were doing uh, uh, this type of story where we ranked the rookies uh, on their full season performance every couple of weeks, quite a bit of change. Um, Luis Robert, we talked about earlier, uh, really tapered off. I mean, there was no taper to it really just plummeted uh, over the final month of the season. He dropped considerably. Uh, Kyle Lewis and, and Jake Cronenworth occupy the top two spots on the list, but neither of those guys did much with the bat down the stretch. Devin Williams ended up at number three on the list, and he was simply dominant, absolutely unhittable all year. Uh, gave up a run back in his second outing of the season on July, uh, July 27th. Did not allow a single run for the rest of the season. Uh, was was literally about as untouchable as I think we've uh, probably ever seen a rookie reliever. Tony Gonsolin is fourth on the list. Uh, Dodgers rookie right-hander kind of quietly put together a great season, 2-2, two 2.31 two, ERA, 46 strikeouts in 46 and two-third innings, 193 average against, 0.84 whip. Uh, was kind of overshadowed by Dustin May entering the season, uh, but ends up ranked higher on this list. Luis Robert is number five. Key Brian Hayes, who didn't even make his debut until, what, September 1st, and he was just uh, an absolute force in the final month of the season, slash 376, 442, 682, 
five home runs, um, 17 runs scored, 11 RBIs in just a month's work, which actually uh, allowed him to hop over another third baseman who played uh, far more games but had about the same production. Had a great year, 338, 440, 481 slash line. Alec Bohm of the Phillies is number seven. Ian Anderson of the Braves, number eight. Willie Castro of the Tigers, number nine, uh, which I think probably a, a bit of a surprise there that he ended up where he did and, and had uh, the season that he did at the plate. And then Ryan Mountcastle is number 10 on the list. Uh, the remain, remaining list, Dustin May, Sean Murphy, Hong Hyung Kim, Christian Javier, Tristan McKenzie, Jared Walsh, James Karinchak, Dane Dunning, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Andres Jimenez. Guys, I know we all voted on this. Um, some different difference of opinion in where guys should go, but uh, your thoughts on the list in general? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the interesting thing to me looking at the list is if I had a vote for like League Rookie of the Year awards, I mean, I think we all would – Kyle Lewis is a pretty easy choice in the American League, isn't he? With yeah. the way Robert finished the season, I mean, we think Kyle Lewis is probably going to win the American League Rookie of the Year award in a walk at this point, I would say. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think there's anybody else who's really in the conversation at this point just because of how much Luis Robert tailed off. Yeah, yeah. On, on this list, the, the next, you know, Robert's number five on the list. The next American League entry is uh, Willie Castro. Of the Castro, Tigers. Nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Kyle Lewis can run away. I, if I had a National League ballot, I, you know, it's tough. I mean, you know, Cronenworth. You know, you know, played a key defensive position, played multiple positions, but he he tailed off, but he still had a pretty solid year. You know, Devin Williams only pitched 27 innings, but they were 27 innings about as spectacular as they can be. Tony Gonsolin was one of the best starters in the National League. Um, didn't quite qualify for the ERA title. Cabrian Hayes actually had more wins above replacement on both the baseball reference and fan graphs list for, for any rookie in the National League um, because he was so good in half a season and his defense is so good too. And then you have, you know, Alec Bohm who played longer, his defense, not as, not as good as Hayes, but I mean, that, you know, and Ian Anderson, you know, pitched about 30 innings. So, he, you know, his innings weren't up, but Ian Anderson was, you know, the Braves' best healthy starter by the end of the year. I, I don't know how I would felt the National League ballot. I mean, I know we did this and we voted and these are our combined votes, but I, I, I can make an argument for Cronenworth, Williams, Gonsolin, or, or Cabrian Hayes as National League Rookie of the Year. That, that, that's a tough one for me. Yeah, no, I think I think it's it is, it is it's a good challenge, you know. And I guess if we were to stick to the way we voted on it, you know, Cronenworth would would get our our first place ballot. And I have a feeling he ends up winning, uh, just because of the you know he was up all season, um, and that's probably what would keep me from voting for Cabrian Hayes as much as I love the guy. Uh, if I were to vote for anyone other than Cronenworth, I think I would vote for Tony Gonsolin. Uh, just because, as you mentioned, you know, the the impact that he's had uh, and how good he's been as a starter for you know the best team in baseball. So uh, I think I was looking at him as like if I were voting just for rookie of the year in the National League, what what would I do? You know, I, I would st- I would stand by our rankings and I'd be fine even, you know, having Cronenworth, Williams, Gonsolin go two, three, four in my on my National League ballot. Uh, but it is an interesting it is certainly an interesting race and one that got a lot more interesting, you know, more interesting than we thought it would. It looked like Cronenworth was kind of running away with it. Um, and then I think the combination of what Williams did, uh, just being so unbelievably dominant. And then Gonsolin can just continuing to, to pitch well in the starting role made it a lot tighter. All right. Let's have your official predictions then. Are you, are you both predicting Cronenworth in the National League and Lewis in the American League as this year's Rookies of the Year? Well, I think Lewis is a lock. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Lewis and Cronenworth. I, yeah, I'll predi- I, I don't know who I would vote for. I would predict Cronenworth because he played nearly every day. And I think I'm guessing that will give him the edge over a reliever and a starter who didn't quite qualify for the ERA title. So, yeah, I'll, I'll guess that Cronenworth will win it. Okay. Let's now look ahead to the 2021 rookie class. Uh, through the lens of a uh, significant change that was made to rookie eligibility rules. This came down on the last day of the season. Uh, we had wondered whether something like this might happen. It did. 
uh, for us at a bit of an inopportune time. Uh, suddenly, uh, we had 36 players who, uh, under the existing rules, still had rookie eligibility and were still on our top prospects list. Suddenly, had graduated and lost their rookie eligibility, had to be replaced. Um, Jim, why don't you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, well, you know what's interesting to us about this? They haven't really addressed what's going to happen going forward, but we, we've we wondered about this, and I don't think necessarily in a podcast, but you know, the rule had been the same since 1971. You, you get 130 at-bats, 50 innings, 45 days of active pre-September service time, and once you exceed that, you're no longer a rookie, and for our purposes, no longer a prospect. And even if this had not been a coronavirus-affected year, they totally changed the call-up rules. Instead of expanding rosters from 25 to 40 this September, we were going to have 26-man rosters during the regular season that would expand to 28 in September. So this theoretically would have been an issue. They they technically did not expand at all because they were 28 because they added to the rosters for the coronavirus, and they stayed at 28. So yes, technically it was different. There was no expansion. But even in a normal year, the expansion would have been two players, so it would have been totally different. So we had wondered off and on. In fact, in a meeting, what was it, <laughs> six days, like on Monday before the last week of the regular season, we're like, we should check on this. And I actually inquired with the BBWAA, and they said, we'll check with MLB and get back to you, which they didn't until, you know, the, the decision didn't come out until the final day of the season. Um, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, it, it, it makes logical sense to me that if you're not expanding the rosters, that that time should count. If you want to count service time, um, that said, is it going to count in the future? Because we're not really going to expand rosters going forward. But, um, you know, the, the, the upshot was <laughs> it affected, you know, we four guys came off the top 100 list and 32 other players came off team top 30 list. I think we're still putting the final touches on, on all those updates. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it radically changed uh, who's a rookie and who's not going into next year. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, preparing for uh, Yom Kippur in a 24-hour fast to see your phone blowing up and knowing that at its conclusion, uh, you will have to replace like a dozen guys. Um, so that was that was fun playing catch-up. I'm almost caught up um, as we record this. But uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have found out, you know, to find out about it a little bit sooner. But uh, what are you going to do when it... Uh, it, it, it adds some new names to, to our list, which is something that's been hard to do this year. So at least there's that. So some of the uh, bigger names that were impacted by this, uh, Jim mentioned four top 100 prospects. Uh, that was Joe Adele uh, of the Angels, D-backs catcher Dalton Varsho, Dodgers right-hander Bruce Dark Gratterall, and Mets shortstop Andres Jimenez. All four of those players uh now uh, have exceeded rookie eligibility, will not be eligible next year. Uh, James Karinczak as well, um, another notable name uh, that uh, fit the bill there. So, Jim, you then took a look ahead to uh, players who have been in the big leagues but do still retain their rookie eligibility and did that in a way where we broke down uh, among those players. I think there are 27 top 100 prospects total who have big league experience but will still be rookies next year. And you broke them down according to who you think uh, among those players has the best shot at winning the 2021 Rookie of the Year awards. Broke them down by league. And to be clear, this is just players uh, who have major league experience. So this is not an exhaustive list at uh, an exhaustive look at who you think will win the rookie of the year in each league next year, because there could certainly be players uh, in the running who don't have big league experience yet, but uh, run us through your, uh, your picks in the American and national league. Yeah, it was, it was interesting the way when I, when I looked when I was writing this up. So my, I made five American league choices in order for whom rank from 90 to 100 on the top 100 list. I went with Ryan Mountcastle, who had a really nice debut, 35 games, ops of almost 900 with Orioles. And I'm looking at, I was looking at, at talent, how they performed in their first shot at the big leagues and opportunity next year. The, the Orioles are clearly going to make Ryan Mountcastle 
uh, you know, he's going to be an everyday player. So I like that. He, I had him number one. Tristan McKenzie, well, based on the way he's pitched this year, I think he's going to have a spot in the rotation with Cleveland, which is a good team. Um, so I had him number two. Bobby Dahlbeck, eight homers and 80 at-bats for the Red Sox. You know, playing time not as assured next year. He's not going to take the third base job from from Raphael Devers, but he could be their first baseman. I put Nick Madrigal, the White Sox, at four. Um, you know, I still don't want to make a Nick Madrigal. I mean, he had 340 this year and had a 745 ops because he, he didn't walk. He didn't have any power, played good defense for the most part. Um, you know, he can run. I, I think he's a high floor guy. I don't necessarily think he's going to put up huge numbers. And then fifth, I went with Dane Dunning. Jason questioned me as I was preparing the story. Why him over Casey Mize and Nate Pearson, who are both ranked in our top 10. And I, I went with Dunning because I thought he adapted to the big leagues more easily. And he's on a significantly better team that, that has employees for more success next year. So those were the five. And so, well, that was kind of the bottom of our list forming the American League. In the National League, all four guys were in our top 37 prospects, although I interestingly wound up ranking them in the reverse order they are in the top 100. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, number one. We just talked about him. Great debut. Ian Anderson, we've talked about a little bit today. Um, number two, Sixto Sanchez. Number three, I, I took Anderson over Sanchez. I thought he was a little bit more dominant. And again, I think his team's going to be better next year. Dylan Carlson uh, looked a lot better in the final 10 days of the season after he'd gone back to the alternative site for two weeks. I think he could be a 20 home run guy next year for the Cardinals. And my fifth choice, which I, I second guessed after we kind of finalized the list, it was Joey Bart. But I do think Joey Bart's going to be better next year. He'll probably share catching duties with Buster Posey. They'll get some time at DH. And even though he didn't have a great statistical line this year, the Giants were a lot better uh, with him behind the plate. They went 15 and 13 compared to 14 and 18 when he didn't start. And I think Joey Bart's could take a step forward. So those those were my top fives. Jonathan, I'm going to go out on a limb, say this is probably the first time you've seen these lists uh, because, you know, you were with the Yom Kippur and everything going on. Go ahead and rip me apart. Where did I where did I make a mistake here? I can't believe that Casey Mize and Nate Pearson aren't on this list. That's all I'm going to say. If you I like cannot, six plus ERAs, you you can you can have no. I think I can totally believe it. I just felt like giving him a hard time. <laughs> no, I, I went back and even I, I went back and forth on that a little bit. And I I went with Dane Dunning. I went with the the lesser prospect who had the the better introduction to the big leagues. Which, uh, I mean, know, which often is the case, by the way. It's it, you know so often it's not the top guy who ends up being rookie of the year. Now that said. I'm all in, and Cabrian Hayes is going to win the National League Rookie of the Year next year. You can put put it down in the bank. Okay, twenty five thousand on that as well is what sure. you're saying. Why not? I'll Jimmy, refinance you, my money. Uh, you touched on Madrigal again, and not knowing what to make of him. Um, Three forty batting average with a seven forty five OPS. I was curious how many times in big league history a, a player has had an average that high with an OPS that low, um, I did a little search um, with a minimum of as many plate appearances as Madrigal had, which was 109. That has never happened before in big league history. And and even, you know, the guys who come behind him, um, not a single one since, not a single position player since it looks like, 1929 among the next 15 players. What uh, was the next lowest ops? I mean, did anybody even have a sub 800 ops while, while hitting 340? Yeah, actually, uh, Tim Murnane in sure. 1872 hit 360 <laughs> with a 746 OPS. Is that the National Association? Is that what we're talking about? Let's see. And I think he became the leading. He was like more famous as a sports writer, I think, at the Boston Globe. If that's the same guy, I think that's the same guy. Jim worked with him at the beginning of his career. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I believe that's the same guy. Okay, well, how about how about since the National League was formed in 1876, who had the lowest ops? Well, let's see. In 1929, George Yule. Yep. UHLE. But he was a pitcher, right? Well, that, that's what I was going to say is several of the players on this list uh, are actually pitchers. <laughs> um, Catfish Hunter, who I had no idea, hit 350 in 109 plate appearances in 1971. 
Johnny Sane also on this list. So is there a position player in the lively ball era? Like like who's who since nineteen twenty, what position player has the lowest ops with a three forty average? In two thousand six, Mike Redmond had a seven seventy eight OPS with a three forty one batting average in hundred and ninety plate appearances. Wow. I would have lost that bet. He would not have been on my list. <laughs> uh, Cap Anson, a familiar name on there also. Only the third best first baseman in Cubs history, Cap Anson. (laughs) (laughs) Educated rage coming out. Exactly. Anyway, I I know we we ponder matter all nearly every podcast. I I still don't know what to make of him. I'll just say, I'll bet we're the only podcast this week that's talking about Tim Murnane and George Uhl. So (laughs) uh, if if you aren't listening to the Pipeline podcast, you aren't going to hear me say this, but you should be because nobody else gives you Tim Murnane and George Uhl. Where are you going to get this important information? All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the draft. Uh, Some all-star news came out this week um, and included in that the fact that the draft, which we we knew this, but uh, has been made official, the draft will be held in July in Atlanta as part of All-Star Week which is obviously a, uh, a big change and, and for us is going to be a, uh, an extremely hectic week as we basically now have moved our two biggest events of the year, would you say, the, the draft and the futures game, on the same day. Uh, both will be held on the Sunday, uh, day one of the draft anyway, on the Sunday uh, ahead of the All-Star game uh, on Tuesday. Why don't we put out our new top 100 and top 30s the same day? That's a great idea. I was I was trying to think of what else we. What could else? Right. That's I, that's that what day. I was racking my brain. I actually I really wanted the official because they announced the official All Star logo. Like with that announcement, the official All Star logo should have images of the pipeline staff passed out. Um, that's gonna be a long. It's gonna be a long few days. Um, but uh, but it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see if it adds interest uh, to the draft as part of All Star festivities. This is going under the assumption that you know we'll be in person and all those kinds of good things when we're back to some sense of normalcy. But um, that that Sunday is going to be the longest day ever. Yeah, it's. I mean, without. Uh criticizing our overlords too much. If you're trying to increase interest in the draft, putting it on a day where you have 15 major league games and the futures game, I don't know how that accomplishes it. I mean, I I understand baseballs want to move the draft forward for a while. I think it makes sense. I mean, if I'm a team, I'm happy now. Like I'm still, we'll see what kind of medical combine they have and what kind of participation they get from players. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to go exactly like MLB wants, but I do think teams will be very happy. You don't no longer have to guess, Hey, we're drafting this guy. And if he's a college player, he might have a couple more rounds of the playoffs left and he could get hurt. I mean, guys have been hurt, getting gotten hurt after getting drafted before. Um, so I, I think from that standpoint, it's good. Um, you know, it gives you, a little bit more time, you know, you, everybody should have concluded their season by the time the draft rolls around. It gives you more time for workouts, more time to kind of, you know, figure out if there's questions you need to answer. You're going to have more access to players now that their seasons are over. All that part's good. But the de- downside to me is, one, it really is going to tax the scouting staffs, too, because the high school showcase circuit and the summer college leagues, which are a big part of scouting for the next year's draft, they they start in early June, um, so you're where do you send your staff? Like if if they're they're still going to be watching games that are of guys who are in the current year's draft, or are they going to be watching guys to get ready for the next year's draft? So that's going to be kind of tough. Um, and I think if you want to add more attention to it, why not have it on the Wednesday after the All Star game? Start day one on the Wednesday after the All Star game when there's literally nothing happening in baseball. I think the only thing that ever happens on that day might be the AAA All-Star game. And I don't even know if the AAA All-Star game is going to exist with the new minor leagues. So why not Why not bring in some of your top players? But why don't you use the All-Star game as a way to bring in top players 
Like we'll, we'll give you tickets or, or get you on the field. You can meet some players before the all-star game. So that might actually make it easier to get players to come to the draft. You could introduce some of the top players to the fans before the draft and then have the draft on Wednesday when there would be absolutely nothing competing with it. And it's, this isn't just my idea. Actually, John, Jonathan, I talked to Harold Reynolds a little bit about this. He feels the same way you could do. I think you could do a lot more with putting the spotlight on the draft if you did it the Wednesday after the All-Star game instead of the Sunday before when there's so much going on. And I honestly, in terms of the timing, I mean, I don't know how we cover both if there's not a large gap between the two games. I mean, we, you and me personally, um, because it's not like they're going to have the draft at the stadium where the Futures game is. Well, maybe just roll right into it. Uh, you know, it's 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 not then, you know, it, obviously it's not just about like the our workload, but like if you think about who's done the Futures game, right? Greg Amsiger and Harold Reynolds and and Greg is, you know, the the amount that he has to do for for that first draft night is is crazy. So I'm going to guess that maybe he won't call the futures game if this is how it works out or that someone else will do the draft, but, uh, there, it's going to be an uh, interesting, but yeah, we should just roll from the futures game right into the, right into the draft. They'll do it on the field in the middle of the celebrity softball game. Done and done. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap up this podcast with a couple of questions, uh, that we received, uh, a couple along the same lines. Uh, how has this year affected development for prospects? Are players that were going to be ready for MLB in 2021 now 2022? Will all pitchers be on innings count next year now? And similarly, please talk to the ramifications of a lost year for most minor leaguers. Do you expect delayed ETAs, Rule 5 impacts, derailing of non-alt-site prospects? You know, like a lot of things this year, it, it it's the first instinct is to kind of shrug your shoulders. And like, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know a definitive answer. Um, and even the players at alt camp, you know, sure they got some reps and some semblance of competition. Some of the players that weren't at alt camp, hopefully will get something similar during instructs. If they can, it's going to be beefed up instructs that are you know starting now uh, with you know a larger amount of prospects higher level prospects the, the only thing we know for certain is all 30 teams are in in the exact same boat and I, you know we won't really know I don't think until next year to see what the ramifications are uh, you know the will the players who were you know close to knocking on the door, and we're in alt camp, but didn't make it up to the big leagues this year. Uh, will it take them another full year to be ready? You know, we've talked a lot about on this podcast how a lot of you know prospects when they first got up to the big leagues struggled. Uh, I think because of the, the lack of real competition, uh, especially I think the hitters. You know, I, I think I think the ramifications are actually deeper on the amateur side and how it's going to impact the draft and how to evaluate who to draft and what happens, you know, especially if uh, spring baseball doesn't take place as normal, then it will a pro game. I think those guys will catch up eventually, um, you know, and I, maybe it'll be the teams that simulated competition the best and have the best off-season programs will be the teams that can shorten that curve of getting guys back up to speed. But I don't, I, you know, I, I tend to answer that these questions, which we've gotten a lot, Jim, you know, with more question marks than definitive answers. Well, nobody knows. I mean, I, I've started and we're, we're working on some all camp reports and I've talked to three farm directors already this week and I've been asking them some of these questions myself and and nobody knows. I mean, you know, looking at this, at this specific question, you mentioned the rule five draft. I am not the world's biggest rule five fan. I don't think the rule five draft is going to change too much this year because I don't think you can just change what's essentially a free agent opportunity for you know hundreds of minor leaguers because there was no season. Now, I've had people say, we have no idea how we're going to scout Rule 5 players because nobody played. So you may see fewer picks this year. Who knows? Um, you know, in terms of ETAs, I, I've been talking to farm directors a little bit about you know, ETAs and where you assign guys. And it'll obviously be a case-by-case -case basis. We'll see how it plays out. I do think in my head, I've kind of wrapped around a little bit. And I think... <sighs> 
for guys who got alt camp this year or get some, you know, the instruction league is going to be so key this year too, that I, I don't think everybody's just going to treat 2020 like it didn't exist. We're going to go back to where we're at the end of 2019. Like, uh, you know, I, I think it's almost, it's going to be like if a guy played in, let's say low A last year, I don't know that you're going to jump that guy to double A next year, but maybe you're more apt to promote guys at midseason. Like, okay, he didn't get a real year in 2020, but he did get some alt camp and instructional league. And so that was positive. So we'll let him go to high A. And if he shows, well, then we'll get him to double A in 2021 where he would have been. So, you know, teams are going to have to figure that out. You know, where do you send guys? And I've, we've talked about this a few podcasts ago. I think the biggest issue is going to be pitchers. You know, the, the, the one guy mentioned innings counts. We all know how teams handle pitchers. You, you, you don't, Increase, you don't put a, a huge increase on a guy from one year to the next. If, if you draft a high school pitcher, you typically give him 80 or 90 innings his first full year. Uh, then you give him 120 the next year, then 150, and then hopefully he's ready for the big leagues or you know, you've got him there. And if it's a college guy, maybe it's 110 the first year, then you get him up to 140. Well, you know, even if you were in all camp, those aren't real innings and real games. It, it, you know, you aren't, it's not the same. Instruction league's not the same. I, I think of a guy like Quinn Priester, an Illinois high school kid from up here, Jonathan, who the Pirates took in the first round last year, his first high school pitcher draft in 2019. He didn't pitch anywhere this year. Even if he gets innings in, you know, instruction league or whatever he's doing on the side, it's not the same. So I like, I don't think you can, I think it's going to set pitchers back more. I don't think you can just give Quinn Priester the 120 innings you would have given him last year. And I, I even worry at the big league level, what happens when we go from a 60 game season? I assume we're going back to 162 because I don't think if we can, I don't think the owners want to play fewer games. I think they want as much revenue as they can after the hits they took this year. You know, even like a veteran like Max Scherzer who pitched 200 plus innings last year, counting the playoffs. You know, he's going to pitch. I didn't look at his total this year. I'm assuming it was around 60 innings, 70 innings this year. Can he go back up to 200 next year? I don't, I mean, I, you know, I know we, we treat young pitchers carefully. I, you know, you're going to have so many more innings at the big league level next year. And we already had guys getting hurt. I, I worry about the pitching. I, and, but to, to sum all that up after rambling there, I'm with you, Jonathan. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> these questions beg more questions. And the short answer is nobody's going to know exactly until we start living in 2021 and, and see what happens. All right, guys, let's go watch some playoff baseball. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Look for the podcast every Wednesday on MLB.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.